Hello and welcome back to Sean and Dave Make Music. We're sorry it's been a while, but hey, a lot's been going on. I'm sure you understand. We've all been going through this transition in the past year, and we've all had to prioritize different things at different times. So thank you so much for joining us today. I know I can safely speak for both Dave and myself when I say we're really happy you're here with us, and it's great to be back. We recorded this episode with Elise way back in April, about five weeks into the shutdown, so you'll hear a little bit of that come through in our material. Since then, we've been working on piecing the music together little by little in between the rest of our busy music-filled lives. But we have some really exciting things and unique treats in store for you this episode and also in the near future, so I won't make you wait any longer. Let's get right to the show. Welcome, Elise. Thank you. (laughs) You are welcome uh, again. Please feel welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been more technologically difficult than most of our other episodes, but at least you didn't have to drive here, right? That's a plus. Yes, definitely a major perk. <laughs> Screw the gas companies. Um, so Elise is a fantastic vocalist and a ver- uh, I-, I feel like a breath of fresh air for our podcast. We really haven't had yeah. anyone like you on at all. Uh, we've had s- certainly vocalists, but I don't think anyone quite as accomplished in the opera world as you. Um, uh, you, yeah. You've got such an incredible voice. Listening to the samples on your website made me really excited to talk to you. Um, I think our profession is really interesting. We, Dave and I both met you through, I guess I should be talking to the listeners. It, it feels like I'm talking right to you because I'm talking to my screen. But I'll talk to everybody. We met Elise uh, at friend of the show, <laughs> David Brown's Halloween party. And it, I don't know, that's a fun atmosphere to meet people in, I think, because the, the walls, I don't, I don't know. I feel like the walls have already come down when you're meeting someone in a costume because it's an odd insight into what they want to dress up as. So we had a great time talking then, and uh, that was that made me not feel weird about reaching out to you to, to do this. Um, but after listening to more of your samples, it made me really excited to talk to you because you've got such agility and expression and the whole package. It's really incredible to hear that voice come out of you. So... Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I, I'd like to begin just kind of talking about how you got your start with singing. What uh, Did you come from a musical family? Have you been singing ever since you were walking? Pretty much, yes. Um, I, I'm told that I, that I was. Um, so my mom is a professional violinist, actually, and now conductor. Um, Elise Dryling, and she conducts an adult orchestra and a youth symphony and all these different things and has competed internationally this past um, last summer as well in her conducting. So she's quite a motivation or quite an inspiration, I should say, for me um, to pursue music and, you know, has been for my entire life. Um, my dad was also a conductor. He died when I was 11 months old, mm. but he founded the Philharmonia Hungarica and sort of listening to his recordings and just um, being inspired by his legacy has really impacted my decision to go into classical music, certainly. Um, and I've been singing and performing essentially my entire life. I remember probably my, my first public performance was when I was three years old. It was for a very large New Year's party, and I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and that was one of my first memories, actually. So, yeah, That's pretty, awesome. pretty much. <laughs> was that kind of the spark that got nice. you started, that first round of applause? You were just addicted from then? I mean, what three-year-old would it be, I guess, but, but <laughs> the star essentially, of the show. yeah, I mean, I also, I just also, you know, always felt a very special connection to making music. 
So cool. Yeah. yeah, I think that kind of answers my my next question. But you can I'll ask it anyway, and you can kind of answer it in a more nuanced way if if you want to, or maybe it's a different answer. Um, opera becoming an opera singer seems like such a specific and sort of lofty goal to me. I, if I had had that thought when I was a kid, I would have dismissed it and said, no, I can't do that. Um, but I mean, coming from a musical family, I'm sure that gives you the reassurance that this isn't this isn't too lofty a goal. I can do this. This is realistic and I can make this work. Um, is that kind of what you all, always the trajectory of your life? Did you think, you know, have that thought as you were even growing up that this is what I want to be forever? Um, no, I honestly did not. Um, I, I knew that I always wanted to do the arts and perform, but I actually didn't envision it really being my career until I made that decision at the end of high school. I was actually, I loved sciences and, and I was going to double major in physics or I wanted to go into engineering and, and music at the same time because I thought I should have a fallback career. And then I started at Indiana University and once I arrived and realized... I can do music all the time. I immediately <laughs> dropped the thought of doing something else part-time. I was like, I need to dedicate all of my energy, because it's so difficult, to this one thing, or I'm not going to make it. So I don't want to plan like I'm not going to make it. I want to just go all in and give it my all, because that's my best shot anyway. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you have a teacher who <laughs> helped kind of guide you into that and give you the encouragement in high school to be like, you can do this, or, or was it a teacher in college, or was that a realization you came to on your own? Um, it was definitely a combination of things. I, had, I was so lucky to have different mentors that taught me different, very important elements about this journey, and, and one surely was my choir teacher in high school, Lisa Friedrichs. She was the first one that really taught me um, just the pure passion and um, the joy in making music with others, that was something that I only really got, you know, by singing in choir, because I was performing as a soloist. Um, and my other mentor, major, major mentor, was my, my teacher who got me into classical voice, uh, Anna Carson in San Diego. Um, she's just this bubbly, positive person, she had an amazing, has an amazing voice, um, and just such a a joy of life and a joy of expression that was so inspirational to me. And I could really tell that she believed in me too. So cool. Those people are so important, right. and I hope that we're growing into them. <laughs> Where you know, like you can just <laughs> tell how nerdy and excited we are about making music, and and it rubs off on younger people. I, I hope that's working. <laughs> First up, today we've got a clip that we pulled from Elise's website in order to help you get to know her a little bit better. She's got a lot more examples of her work up there, so if you want to dive deeper, go ahead. The link is in the show notes. It's elisesoprano.com. This is Gilbert and Sullivan's For Riches and Rank I Do Not Long. Oh uh-huh. 
specific um, musical influences as far as singers you looked up to, uh, you know, that weren't your teachers as a kid? Or were there um, any other instrumental influences that you had that that you that I guess that sort of either you tried to emulate or that you got really into just um, singing along to or anything like that? Um. Let's see, I always enjoyed listening to a lot of different music, and a major inspiration for me in terms of, I guess, the musician's lifestyle, because you were saying, you know, non-singers are my mom's friends, who are all Mm. musicians in San Diego. Um, I love the way that they, you know, their work is spending time with one another, and they love to creative, creatively, um... What is, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, they, they just love to create together. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing to observe that sort of thing. So just just listening to them all play together in chamber ensembles, I think that's why I love making chamber music so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of, and, you know, and listening to my mom play, listening to her practice, she would get up at 5 a.m. and go through those scales. And, you know, she's extremely dedicated. Um, and then just listening to her make music and listening to that aspect of her, I think a lot of, kids don't really get to see, well, you know, their parents' true souls being expressed in some artistic fashion. It's a side of your parent that you don't get to know a lot. And and um, and that's always been really inspirational to me, just to see how she expresses herself as a human through her music. That's really interesting. Um, and to see how she expresses herself so fully and puts everything into 
into that one focused activity is really interesting and inspiring. Yeah, yes. that sounds awesome. Good answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and lastly, I was going to mention um, Beverly Sills is a singer who I listened to since I was a kid, since I was 12 years old. And I loved just how happy she looks when she sings. Obviously, mm. she has an amazing voice. She's an incredible actor, but um, you can just see the joy radiating. And she really inspired me, too, to pursue opera. Cool. So, yeah. That's, that's one of the most awesome things about singing is that you don't have something stuck to your face where you can really express yourself <laughs> uh, and, and sh I think, eat more easily show that to the audience. Um, which I think you're, you're a master of as well. Any, any of our listeners, if you haven't checked out some of the videos on Elise's page, you certainly should. She's got some up from um, her chamber opera company, the Alter Ego Opera Company. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, um, you've got a clip up there from Coffee Break and Phony, which are really cool, I don't know, interesting modern fusion of opera and contemporary themes. What went into creating, who, what was the catalyst behind creating that whole project, the, the company, and what was it like bringing it to fruition? Um, yeah, it, it was just mind-blowingly amazing because it, it was something that really happened in stages that I didn't expect but that I, I loved every part of it that sort of unfolded. So um, it started as... Well, the inspiration for writing my own adaptation came from when I was at Curtis and I was asked to write my own adaptation of Pierre Lunaire, which I did, and I consulted the German text as well as the original French poetry. Um, and that experience was really transformative for me in terms of me taking more ownership over the classical music that I perform. Um, probably the reason why... I would be at odds. The biggest reason why I would be, or sometimes am, as a, a classical musician is that I'm performing all of this work that I did not create. It's not my voice, and I'm happy to give composers a voice, of course, but sometimes there are views in opera, um, <laughs> you know, that are not as... Uh, woke? They, Shall we they can be chauvinistic. Or, woke, sure. Yes. They're, not, they're not modern. I mean, you know... Indeed, of course. And we, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> look at how look at how things have aged like milk from the past fifty years, let alone the past hundred and fifty. And yeah, wow. Right, right, and like it's it's just it was I I feel really at odds sometimes because that's not the message that I want to portray as an artist, and yet I love classical music. I love the tradition of the actual you know musical phrases and ideas and mm -hmm. and and just you know I love baroque music. I, I love atonalism, um, but yeah, so it was the first time that I realized I really want agency over what I'm doing. And so I started toying around with the idea of doing the, the coffee cantata because I love Bach and because I love coffee. Uh, and I was looking at the English translations that are out there and they kind of just, they're, used, they're still using like antiquated language and the theme, which is the father preventing his daughter from um, getting married if she doesn't give up coffee, right? I, I didn't, I wasn't so excited about that. So I just completely wanted to redo the whole thing. Um, 
And I was like, I think people will really dig this. And I think maybe people will want to even perform it in the future just because it's, you know, we need, we need something new out there. So, um, I started that project with house music as a concert performance. And this was back in the spring of 2019 and met David Brown, David Matthew Brown, uh, who was asked to play violin on that. And so after we made the, this trailer in order to fundraise for that concert, we all went out for a beer and we got to talking and I got to meet him and, and, and chat and realize he was a composer. And we wanted to do a double bill to make the performance length a little longer because the coffee guitar is only 25 minutes long. So, um, so we're like, okay, let's, let's do a double bill about addiction. So then we basically decided right then and there that we would just write a brand new piece uh, about cell phone addiction, <laughs> which is something that I think about a lot. And I think about how technology really gets in the way of um, meaningful human relationships. I think a lot about how technology just has a lot of benefits, but a lot of, of, of negative implications as well. Um, so I think that's super interesting. Just to jump in real quick, I think that's super interesting, and I think yeah. you chose the right addiction to write an opera about because it's lighthearted and and not, <laughs> you know, you're you're not writing Requiem for the Dream, the opera. Um, so I, kudos on that, and I think it's really interesting the the way you present it. I'm kicking myself for not driving over there and seeing it last year. It was I'm good. Assuming that was, I caught was, that I'm assuming I had was, a good excuse, but really I, I can't remember one. <laughs> Well, uh, Elise, was that, um, so the, the phony and the coffee cantata, was that your first time writing libretto then? Was that your, your first outing on it? Uh, yes. Beyond um, the Pierre Lunaire, that Pierre was Lunaire. the first. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, no, it was all really effective. Very, very good stuff. Did you Thank do you. any, had you done any other writing like poetry or folk songs or anything else before that time? Um, yes, I've, I've written poetry my entire life, which I haven't shown anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, like probably a lot of us do. Um, and I also was in a band called the Fancy Balloons from 2012 to 2015. And I did co-write uh, a lot of music and lyrics as part of that. Um, but yeah, that's this a great band name. What, what kind of did, music so. did the Fancy Balloons play? Did they play? Yes. Yeah. Well, play. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a great band name. What type of music did the Fancy Balloons play? <gasps> ah, got the whole question that time. Um, <laughs> people sort of likened us to the Talking Heads, which is a huge, huge compliment. We are basically kind of this, like, eclectic sort of funk rock, okay. I want to say, with, like, ethnic-inspired, ethnic-inspired, ethno-inspired rhythms. Okay, awesome. Because our, our drummer was really into... Um, rhythms and instruments from around the world. So that really inspired his input into our band, Ben Diamond. So due to the extended and ongoing pandemic, we've had to find new ways to collaborate with our guests while still keeping some of the fun, creative spirit of our regular in-person improvisations. For this episode, we settled on a round-robin game. We each started by creating the first layer of a song and limiting ourselves to 90 seconds or less for each one. Then we passed it around our trio with each person inventing and recording another layer until everyone had contributed and the song was complete. 
So for this first one, I wrote and recorded the ukulele part first, then Elise added her vocals, and Dave recorded the bass last. To keep all the files straight as we pass them around, we've been using our initials, so the working title of this one was just sad. Sean, Elise, and Dave. And even though it starts out kind of sad and brooding, I don't think that title really fits because, spoiler alert, it turns kind of hopeful and optimistic at the end. Dave also referred to this one as the Led Zeppelin-sounding uke one, which I think is kind of interesting because I can't really say I count them as a major influence. Maybe it's a sad Zeppelin because it's moody but it soars? I don't know. What do you think? Let us know on Instagram or something. What are some of your other um, non-classical influences or maybe people you've discovered recently who you might want to recommend to our audience? Anybody out there really killing it right now in the non-classical world that we should know about? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know. I really love Empress Of. Um, I've listened to her a lot. Like, I really love, like, electronic music, actually. Um there's this artist out of Philly called Void Vision, Sherry, Sherry Vari, and I hope I'm saying her name right, but um, I love listening to her. Like, I love just, like, sort of listening to whatever I can get my hands on. Um, well, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's, on, a, on that's a bold tech. statement. I love baths. That's a bold statement to say you like anything or you're, you're looking for anything to get your hands on. There's so much out there. That's overwhelming. There, well, yes, <laughs> it's overwhelming. Okay, I, I, will pr- I will say I will listen to anything once. Okay. If I want to listen to a song twice, then, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. (laughs) The, uh, let's, I think it's really interesting to me that you are really into electronic music. That's a pretty big can of worms. What type of electronic music? Dance music? Weird computer-y avant-garde stuff? Right where they meet in the middle. Probably right where they meet at the middle. Uh, cool. It's hard to say. I, I really go by the lyrics. I really love St. Vincent. I love her album, Matt Seduction, because I just feel like she just makes so many really poignant statements about, like, humanity and technology. Um, uh, I think I, I think it just has to do with a lot of factors. I love craft work. Like, who doesn't love craft work, you know? <laughs> I love Radiohead. 
I think and, it's more about sort of artsy music with like an um, electronic influence or feel in it, totally. not just purely like dance music. Although I enjoy that too. It just depends. Uh, yeah. If I want to dance, I like dance music. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. How much does the singer have to do with you getting into a band? Are there like I, I would imagine that that's that's going to probably be your your the first thing that you your brain wants to focus on. Maybe you're good at listening, you know, overall. But if I if every band I listened to had a flute player in it, I would uh, sure as hell be scrutinizing every note they play subconsciously, whether I was trying to or not. Um, so how how does that? Are, are you able to listen to a band and and enjoy them if they don't have a singer who's a hundred percent on, or is that too important for you? No, absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm an enemy of perfect vocal technique because I think it's extremely important to have very good vocal technique, but that is just the toolbox for the creation. It's way more important what some, what someone has inside to say and how they express that. And, um, I appreciate singers and artists for who they are in that genre. So these singers aren't trying to be, you know, opera stars or, or Broadway stars. And so their manner of singing and their technique is going to be very different. Um, uh, and, and I should and I should preface the whole technique thing with like, techniques are very different depending on what genre you're singing. Um, it's all about yeah. healthy breathing and you know certain common practices but that is to say that i love an expressive artist i should cool. just like keep it simple i love yeah, an expressive that's artist that's it <laughs> <laughs> it's excellent that you can get past that because i don't know if i could uh, it's hard for me to get past a band with a bad flute player i'm just projecting <laughs> <laughs> i thought what yeah that's interesting yeah i don't know um, so there have been as... times in the past when it bothered me but i will say that Music is just very vast. You just can't put things in boxes. Yeah, and there are so many different aspects to it. I mean, I'm sure you'd rather listen to somebody really expressive who can't hit all the notes rather than somebody who's totally flat but singing like a MIDI track. Um, and I think I would, too. I, I know I would, too. You mentioned... I don't um, want to listen to someone singing flat. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I will say that. The... But yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and well, I, I should clarify, I meant flat, like flat affect, not flat pitch wise, but either way, I don't want to listen oh, to that okay. person. Uh, either way, I don't want to listen to that person say, um, <laughs> Fair enough, anyway, the, uh, you mentioned Broadway. Is that something that, is that a style that you've dipped your toes into at all? Uh, the musical theater world, I would imagine it's hard to avoid. Yes. Yes, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> I, I love, uh, not secretly, to belt out Frozen uh, in my apartment. Um, I wish that I had an amazing belting technique, and sometimes I like to work on it on my own, although mm -hmm. I don't really seek out training in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, all lyric theater artists these days need to remain versatile. We should be able to sing at least the classic musical theater repertoire, because mm -hmm. a lot of opera companies are now performing musicals. Mm -hmm. um, but I have also mm -hmm. played around for a few years with um, getting more of that bell in my voice and, and going to some audition calls that require it, just to kind of see what would happen. Because um, I love comedy, 
And outside of operetta, you don't get a lot of opportunity to do comedy in opera. So that's why do, part of my interest. Why do you think yeah. that is? Do you think it's, it's a harder medium to get the comedy across? Or it's just not out there? Well, you know, there's actually... I sort of misspoke because Rossini does a phenomenal job at comedy. Uh, <laughs> I think it's hard. I think, I think it's probably hard for Rossini to talk to an audience in 2020 and have his jokes land. Yes and no. Um, it really depends on, I think, the way that something is staged also. And there are certain universal ideas or jokes that can be made no matter you know whether it was 100 years ago or not mm -hmm. um, yes <laughs> some some material is timeless yes for sure. absolutely absolutely right and we find comedy in shakespeare too of course you know mm -hmm. there's just some things that never change about yeah. people they just <laughs> keep making the same <laughs> mistakes or doing the same silly things but um but yeah a lot of opera is based on very larger than life stories i mean i mean um a lot of you know Greek mythology and a lot of uh, tragedy, of course. And so the opera and, world is, is cool. vast, though, of course, like anything else. <laughs> as far as the line between the two, I, I, I realize there's a line, but I don't know where that line is between musical theater and opera. Where is that line in, in your mind? Does it, does it have to do with vocal technique? Does it have to do with themes. I recently watched a bootleg of Hamilton for the first time, and that's why I'm asking this question. It seems to me like there are very few rules in musical theater as far as style and what genre you can work in and things like that. Are, do those rules exist in opera? I, I see them as virtually the same art form with a couple uh, key differences. And at the time when opera was, you know, sort of first evolving and coming over to the United States and operas used to be performed um, in English more. And then, you know, they have different traditions where they'll perform it in the language of that place and then they'll go and they'll perform it in the language that it was originally written in. And you kind of had this, um, this branching off, right? We had operetta, comic opera, and then into what we know today as American musical theater, which is also very much changing and evolving to to go down the line of more of like pop-influenced. Absolutely. Um, I very much see American musical theater as being, it seems to me that it's a little bit more open-minded in terms of how it's allowing itself to evolve. And it is really taking the influences of pop, jazz into account. Opera is starting to do that, which I'm very excited about. Um, the key differences for me between opera and musical theater is are vocal technique and, and the usage of, you know, microphones or not. So musical oh, theater okay. uses microphones and opera does not. And so opera singers have to have a technique that is designed to fill a very large space using only their bodies. And that is incredible to me. That's one of my favorite things about being an opera singer. I think it is a huge uh, superpower. Indeed. It is incredibly awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but, but really it's like, they're all just lyrical theater, uh, traditions and, and it's all 
it's all sung theater, right? So to yeah. me, they're very similar in a lot I of th- ways. I think so too. And I think a lot of people have a vague idea in their mind of what the different, the stylistic difference is or where that line is, but it's pretty amorphous to me. And, and my next question, I guess, is there, does, does there need to be a line? Um, I think we're going to see past COVID-19 that there is even less of a line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I think so, too. Agreed. To, to, <laughs> to be honest. And I, 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 I don't think there should really be a line. I, I do think that there is incredible value in still performing without a microphone because that is the art form and it's very I agree. cool. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's also just like the importance is that the message is understood, that the story is understood and it's expressed and it's felt and it's acted. And so whatever means necessary in order to, to have that art, I mean, we're going to have to be constantly evolving and growing and changing, right? We have film that we're competing with. I mean, mm-hmm. so, so really there shouldn't be a line. I don't think. Yeah, I tend um, to agree. Next, we've got two more of our round-robin tracks for you in very contrasting styles. The first was started by Elise, vocalizing wordlessly and incredibly. Then Dave really crushed it with the supporting piano accompaniment. There really wasn't anything left that I felt like the piece needed melodically or harmonically at that point. So I decided to go for atmosphere. I did two flute tracks of swirling, airy residual tones for just a little bit of added texture. The one after that is a quirky little tune started by Dave on Udu drum and shaker. Elise added keyboard and vocals next and used a text written by her great uncle Edward Loggie. It's the second of two hursery rhymes from his book The Cloud Catchers. I added the last element, flute, and utilized some residual tones again along with singing and playing and a pitch bender too. The second one's called I Said the Fly.
a cockroach. I said a sparrow. With my 38 revolver, I killed the cockroach. You killed the cockroach? Then who saw him die? I said the fly. With his murder in my eye, I saw him die. What are some of your favorite performances that you've done? Do you have a favorite opera that you've performed in or a favorite role or uh, any specific stories that are interesting because of how right they went or how wrong they went either way? Ah, um, I can think of three off the top of my head. So, so I'll start by saying that performing in Phony in the Coffee Cantata was was my favorite because, well, I created them and there is nothing like that. That was just an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say whether it was, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. It was really fun. It was, it was so fun. Um, The other operas I loved performing, one was Les Mamelles de Theresias, The Breasts of Teresa, which is about this character um, named Therese. And she is a feminist. And this is right around the time of World War II, and she's arguing with her husband, and she's saying, I want to be a soldier, I want to be equal, I don't want to just cook and, you know, raise, like, have babies. And it's a surrealist opera, and at one point her breasts turn into balloons, and they fly away. And she turns into (laughs) Theresius. And this was just such a fantastical story. Mm -hmm. I loved it so much, and I love Poulenc's music, so... That was amazing for me. And the other opera that I loved um, was, yeah, it's a close tie, but I I think it was Elegy for Young Lovers by Henza. Um, That was my first experience with performing extremely atonal music. Um, And I I would say I loved that piece for the music, really. Um, And I I was Hilda Mack, so I was... An older lady had a super long gray wig, <laughs> um, but just the, the just the textures and the harmonies were just so beautiful. It was it was one of the best examples I've ever heard of atonal music that just sounds so tonal because of the way that it's put together. It was incredible. That's always a feat, cool, and a cool effect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, what to you is? kind of your favorite part of the music making prop process. Let's let's throw out the writing the libretto and actually creating it part cuz I'll assume that since that was the most fulfilling project that's probably part of it. But just considering putting together a performance as far as, you know, learning it, rehearsing with the group and performing it. What what part of that is the payoff? What's the what's the most fun for you? Is it the performance aspect of it or do you really enjoy learning a new piece? I love the rehearsal process. That is my favorite part. I nice. love the collaborative spirit. I love discussing uh, philosophically characters and storylines and the impact that it might have on an audience at length. I love trying out new things in the rehearsal space. Um, I learned a technique for rehearsals, I think 
from listening to something that Joyce DiDonato said, which is she has days where she goes all out dramatically and then, you know, changing to all out uh, vocally. And then you kind of, you know, you, you learn to put them together, but you have to really go to that extreme in each element that you're trying to master over your rehearsal process. You have to really fully go there in order to get um, it to be at the level that you want it to be. And yeah. so I love trying that out. I love just, I think the amount of growth that I feel for every rehearsal process is, is yeah, it's one of my favorite parts about it. Everything cool. teaches you something. Everything makes you grow. I love being challenged in that way. Because once, once you arrive at the performance, you know, you're, you're there. You're at the level that you're going to be. And then you have a job to do. <laughs> that, but, then um, the work starts. But the rehearsal process, you have a job. But, but it's also, um, that's your time to grow. That's your time to learn. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Are there any... Uh, let's. Are there any tips or lessons about singing that you've learned along the way that you feel like don't get talked about enough? Or aspects of aspects of singing that you feel like people kind of miss when they teach it. Um, I wouldn't say that this is something that's missed a lot. I think it comes up a lot, especially as a singer. But just the mental health aspect, um, being mentally healthy and being emotional he emotionally healthy are absolutely critical to being a successful performing artist. I think, hmm. um, sure. and that's because so much. You know, you have to give so much. You have to be so vulnerable. And so you have to be in a position of a certain level of strength in order to give that to someone else. That that it will not shake you from um, your core abilities and your core confidence. Right? Yeah. So you have a job to do, but you have to be vulnerable at the same time. And it's it's extremely challenging. And it's something that everyone says is important. But how to actually help someone teach someone how to do that for themselves or how to impart that as a mentor i think it's it's a little it's a little elusive but i think as artistic educators we can be better at it interesting um, yeah I, as someone so not crucial. in the vocal world i that that is something that i think doesn't get talked about enough um because i'm i mean i'm outside of it but certainly in the instrumental world i don't think that gets talked about really at all so <laughs> good tip <laughs> Yeah, not nearly enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we yeah we need to be vulnerable, I guess, in a different way sometimes. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. Great answer. It's it's one of the major things that sets people apart from being able to have careers and not, I think. Because if you're confident in yourself, every day is a journey. And you're able to take knowledge in that you need. You know, critical knowledge. Because mm -hmm. we have to keep growing. And so you have to be... Uh, you know, a certain, a certain level of, of, um, I guess just self-assured. Yeah. Secure and, in yourself. And you have to feel like you have, um, a safety net in a way, you know, a, a home structure, a family and a, a friend structure that's going to support you. And it's all just really important. It really, I think it really make, can make the difference and does make the difference between winning an audition and not yeah, I so, think especially because failure is so baked into this career. You're not going to succeed yeah. every time you try, and so you've got to be able to deal with it. Yeah? Yeah. Dave started this next tune on bass and created a really rich and intricate line. I played a supporting role on ukulele, and Elise wrote and recorded her vocals last.
one thing that I would just reiterate, I, I love that you brought up about the importance of vulnerability. Um, and especially that you won't grow unless you are vulnerable in your art. And I think um, yeah, as performers, like on instrumental stuff, um, yeah, I you see, or I see it all the time and saw it going up through schooling, um, that technique is very important and it's very emphasized in the instrumental realms, but they rarely talk about uh, the importance of expression and the importance of like, what are you saying with this passage? Um, I, I didn't see that as much in the instrumental arts. And I think that's really something important, like critically important. Um, Cause really like, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody with mediocre technique can wipe the floor with somebody <laughs> who has amazing technique, but nothing to say, or, or rather doesn't know how to express what they really should be saying. Like that yeah. kind of a thing. I think that's interesting. Absolutely. I think you I think you got the worst of it, Dave, as like a percussionist and a string player, some some uh, a woodwind player. I feel like I got the middle ground. My the my good teachers certainly talked about expression all the time, but you know, not all of them did. Well, and honestly, like I mean, to their credit, I think the 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 faculty at Westchester's percussion department, like they uh they were very open to discussions of expression with me but it was usually because we were discussing it from the lens of like they knew i was passionate about composing so mm. like we were already i was already interested in that vein and we'd already have that conversation a lot um but i mean yeah i mean i i, I saw that all the time in the department people who were far better players than i were than i was but just um they didn't know how to say something with the music they were playing mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it just so mm -hmm. so so often the the yeah I, I just feel like uh i was not one that was really great on technique i i developed better technique as i went and as i learned to take things seriously on that front <laughs> uh, but a leg up that i always had was expression i i could walk in and just channel and and tap into whatever the proper vein was for that piece um mm. i just think that's so important um yeah Absolutely. And I think in a, along the lines of that is like, you know, you can't teach expression. And I think the idea that we try to lead our students in like how to express, like there are examples, right? There are like recordings there, you know, but it's, it's really about getting out of the student's way, like mm -hmm. who that person is and if they have something to say and they have feelings, um, they need nothing else but to be really supported in who they are. And I think that that's something that gets extremely overlooked. And then by the time you, they, you know, students get out of conservatory, it's like all their personality has been like wiped out of them. <laughs> and, and that's the very thing that, that it brings so, the value, you know, that brings so much value to the art. So. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why composition and why improvisation and creating your own thing from scratch is so important because you don't have that filter of someone else someone else's emotion that you're trying to emulate or you know bring life to somebody else's work absolutely absolutely that's definitely the case for me hmm. um it's really hard for me to approach a romantic aria knowing that so many incredible people have sung it a certain way in the past and you know, that there will be expectations that I sing it that way. But particularly when I look at new music, uh, it's it's more of a blank canvas. And I love that. It just allows you to be and to express without feeling like there are quite so many expectations for what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, so many more um, choices you get to make. 
Yeah. So speaking of new music, um, you you mentioned before we started recording that you're actually quite busy this quarantine. Are there any current projects that you've got going on that you're able to talk about or promote? Oh my, able to talk about. I have several things in the works. Um, a couple things are like not finalized, so I mm-hmm. won't talk about those. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I will be premiering a piece by Colin Payne called Distance Calls as part of the um, GLF-CAM, the Gabriella Lena Frank. Um, and I'll get the exact name of the institute. It's it's an institute. Um, let me just look this up real quick. <laughs> no Pause this part. The Gabriella Lena Frank Creative Academy of Music. Okay. Um, and so it's this awesome project where performers who have been impacted by COVID-19 losses uh are, are, are paired with composers to do these digital premieres of pieces. And our piece, Distance Calls, um, Colin mostly wrote the text, but I, I helped him. We wrote, it, we wrote the text together a little bit. And that's going to be premiering at the end of May. And as awesome. I said, digital release only. But I can you know keep you guys updated on when exactly that will be. Um, yeah, great. Send us the link or something to that. That's so been can amazing, post it. too. So. Sweet. Great. And as far as things on the horizon, do you have any long-term goals or ideas for your next project that you're itching to create? I am itching to perform opera in Clark Park, <laughs> which oh, is okay. a park that's right by my house in West Philly. It's the um, best park. <laughs> yes. And I've seen, do, do you know it? Have you seen Shakespeare I... in Clark Park there? Yes, yes. I, I lived um, about a half a block from Clark Park for three years. It's a great area. That's yeah. Amazing. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. And the coolest thing about the park is that it's shaped, shaped like a dog bowl, right? It's yep. called the dog bowl. <laughs> um, and that's, that's great because it immediately makes you think, okay, this is like an amphitheater. Yeah. Um, so, I, so given coronavirus, I really want to make an opera happen there with Alter Ego um, Chamber Opera this fall for the Philadelphia Fringe Festival because Super I cool. think it might be our only opportunity in an outdoor, non-enclosed space to perform opera anytime soon. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I also really just want it to be available to a broader audience. I think that Philadelphia hasn't had any live operas performed outdoors. Hmm. At least not that I've been aware of for the recent past. Um, I know Opera Philly does opera on the mall, but um, but yeah, we want to do, I want to do an intimate work there. So that's that's a major goal that I'm trying to plan for right now. Sweet. <laughs> well, awesome. I will not have an excuse for that one. I'll try to be there. <laughs> awesome. Yay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah, unless uh, there's anything else Dave had to talk about, I think that about wraps it up. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, I think we're good. Sweet. Uh, so, cool. yeah, thank you again for being here. This was really fun. This last one we've got for you today may be the most unique of the batch, but hey, we're living in strange and unique times, so let's embrace it. Elise started this one with her voice, then I added my voice singing in my baritone slash I wish I was a real bass register and harmonizing with my flute at the same time. Then Dave added a few synth layers at the beginning and some ethereal chime-like sounds at the end. We're calling this one I'd Rather Go Outside. I'd rather go outside than stay alone I'd rather go outside than stay alone 
Thank you so much for listening to Sean and Dave make music today. If you enjoyed our time together, please let us know. You can leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Sean and Dave make music. The word and is an ampersand on Facebook, but it's spelled out on Instagram, as well as in our email address, Sean and Dave make music at gmail.com. Feel free to send us your thoughts about this episode and let us know what kind of tunes you'd like to hear in the future. Find out more about Elise at her website, elisesoprano.com, and try to catch her performing live sometime in the future if you can. Finally, just a quick note about our theme song for this episode. I swear we didn't put this whole thing off until October just so we could use this spooky theme for the Halloween times. It just happened to work out that way. Elise sang her line first, then Dave arranged and recorded all the electronic instruments, and I added a little bit of spooky flute air just to finish it off. Thanks again for joining us today. See you next time.